1: This is Mark Schaefer, and you are listening to a special bonus episode of the Marketing Book Podcast about how to write a marketing book. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett.
0: Hello, thanks for joining me on the marketing book podcast where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book. This, however, is a special bonus episode, a little something extra for you that's out of the ordinary. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message. Indicating you are a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. All right, let the bonus begin. Today, we welcome Mark Schaefer back to the Marketing Book Podcast for a special bonus episode on how to write a marketing book. Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized speaker, educator, business consultant, and author Mark has worked in global sales, PR, and marketing positions for more than 30 years and now provides consulting services and marketing training for both startups and global brands such as Dell, Johnson & Johnson, Adidas, and the U.S. Air Force. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development and is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. While earning his MBA, Mark studied under the legendary management consultant, educator, and author... Peter Drucker. Mark is the author of eight best selling books. Return on Influence, the first book on influencer marketing. The Dow of Twitter, the best selling book on Twitter. Social Media Explained, Untangling the World's Most Misunderstood Business Trend. Born to Blog, Building Your Blog for Personal and Business Success, one post at a time. The Content Code, Six Essential Strategies to Ignite Your Content, Your Marketing, and Your Business. Known, building and unleashing your personal brand in a digital world, marketing rebellion, the most human company wins, and most recently, cumulative advantage, how to build momentum for your ideas, business, and life. Against All Odds. His blog, Businesses Grow, and his podcast, The Marketing Companion, are two of the top in those categories, and he's appeared in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Wired, Forbes, Fortune, CBS News, and many other global media outlets like The Marketing Book Podcast. And interesting fact, Mark is and remains the king of The Marketing Book Podcast, having been on the show more than any other author. Mark, Welcome back to the marketing book Podcast. Welcome home. Your Highness That's
1: exactly what I was gonna say. I'm home. That's right. I'm home. I clicked my shoes together and I'm with you, Douglas.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm wearing my uh, Dorothy dress right now. I, why did I have to go there? I'm sorry I, this is an audio only fortunately uh, for yeah. the for the listeners' benefit. Now, mm-hmm. I should explain that, uh, Mark, you know, he's always thinking about other people. And he contacted me not too long ago and said, hey, you know, I know you read at least one book a week for your podcast. Don't you ever need a week off? You know, here's an idea. How about if I were to talk about how to write a marketing book and you don't have to prepare for it? And I'm like, I'm all about not ever having to prepare for something. <laughs> and I said, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. I This is going to be a special bonus episode. And I thought that is such an interesting idea. And frankly, I don't I don't know how to write a marketing book. I'm too busy reading them. But I thought that's a really interesting idea. And as I mentioned in your intro, you've you've written a few marketing books, some enormously successful. So I don't know, Mark. Maybe you know what you're, you might know what you're talking about.
1: Well, I, I, I you know I, I thought about this that that I kind of have a unique perspective in the industry in that. I've been writing books for more than a decade, and I've been through this transition of working with uh, McGraw-Hill, being published by a big New York City publisher, working with literary agents, and then transitioning to self-publishing. As far as I know, I'm the only Self-published author that's hit number one on Amazon. That's not easy to do, and uh, so I mean I don't know how to prove that. It's not something that I like monitor, but as I ask around and look around, and people say, "Yeah, that's really quite remarkable." Usually, it's the big, you know, New York publishing books that that, that hit number one. But my last, uh, let's see, four books. I think my last four books hit number one in at least one amazon category and i i think the other thing is that i've i've sort of gotten into a process of writing books so i think this Uh, this perspective uh, might be interesting to people. I've never talked about it before on a podcast, and I thought if anybody wanted to know about it, it would probably be
0: the the fans of your show. Yes, absolutely. And there's lots of authors that listen to the show. But let me add something else to sort of the uh, context, the the time Mm. that we're in. Mm -hmm. We're actually... uh, You, When you first started writing books, it really was more the mindset or the tail end of, you know, you have to go through a publisher. Yes. And you actually have been writing books during this rather tumultuous time. And I can remember after I interviewed you about one of your other books, uh, we had this long conversation about the frustrations you had with the old publishing model. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how you suddenly – or how you – Realized that self-publishing uh, was working much better for you. Well,
1: <laughs> way to ramp me up. <laughs> uh, you know, so if you look at what are the advantages that, that, that a traditional publisher, what are they supposed to bring to you a, as an author? Um, you know, number one for me in my early days they had an entire PR team ready to support you. I was an unknown author, I should add, at that time when I wrote my first book. Um, I, I, I wasn't really known in in the world, but they believed in my idea. They believed in the book.
0: And that was and return on
1: influence, right? Return on influence. Yeah. That's right. And uh, so, but it, it was an interesting concept because influencer marketing was was it was a trend. I saw it as a trend. I saw that we were on the cusp of something new and profound in the marketing world. And here's the thing I think is remarkable is that at that time in the publishing industry, I mean they just took a risk on me and I don't think they would they would do that anymore. and um, so today in the publishing world, they really don't, support you with marketing. Even people who continue to go with publishers will, will tell you that you have to do it yourself. they they just don't do it for you. So, okay, there you go. Now, what's the other thing? Well, they can, they can, you know, access maybe new channels that I can't access. Okay. So, uh, Maybe they can get me into a bookstore. Well, he, who even goes to bookstores anymore? Mm-hmm. And chances are, if even if you were in a bookstore, you're only going to be there for a month anyway. <laughs> and so, as long as you can have a nice placement on Amazon, you don't really need those channels like you used to. Mm-hmm. And I don't need a publisher for that. Uh, what about you know? What about sales? Okay, today. Most publishers are going to say, for us to give you a contract, you have to guarantee that you're going to sell 5,000 books. Now, if you could sell 5,000 books, which is a lot, by the way, especially if you're writing a business book or a marketing book, if you can sell 5,000 books, why do you need a publisher? <laughs> <laughs> because now we get into the, the the a couple other very interesting things that many people might not think about. And first is the money. When you go through a publisher, you know, I think maybe you make of course, it's all relative. I mean, if you're Seth Godin, you're going to make a lot more money. you are Malcolm Gladwell, you're going to make a lot more money than someone like you or me. But you know, um, most uh, business authors are making somewhere between a dollar and two dollars per book. Self-publishing, I can make eight, nine, 10 dollars a book. That's a big wow, difference. Wow, I didn't realize a big, it was that oh, different. Oh, yeah. big. Now, here's another key idea. So let's use return on influence as an example. I wrote this through McGraw-Hill many years ago. Let's say I went to a conference and someone wanted to, to, me to give a speech about influence marketing. And I had this idea. Well, I'm going to bring a box of books to the conference and sell them in the back of the room, or maybe even give them away to some of the people at the event. To get those books, even as the author of the book, I would have to go to Amazon and buy them just like you. (laughs) I don't get a special deal. I don't get a special discount. There is no special access. I have to buy the books just like you. If you self-publish, the cost of self-publishing A normal size book, let's say a normal size book is, oh, let's say 250 pages. It costs you about maybe $2.50 to publish a book. So I can buy as many books as I want for $2.50 and then sell them in the back of the room. This also creates new revenue opportunities because let's say uh, an event only has a, a certain speaking budget. Well, I said, well, what if we bought books for everybody? Oh, sure. Well, that's a different budget. <laughs> well, I can, I can give you a discount. You know, this is selling on Amazon for, for, for 20 bucks. I can get it to you for, uh, you know, 15, 16 bucks. Would you be happy with that? Sure. We'll buy 400 copies. So, you know, in, in that way, I'm, I'm, it's a new revenue stream. Now, there's one other important thing that, that I want to mention. When you self-publish, you own the intellectual property and you never know where that's going to lead. You never know what's going to happen to that book in the future. And let me give you an example from my own life. You mentioned that I wrote this very popular book, The Dial of Twitter. It, it, it was a sensation because it's not just a book about Twitter. It's really a book about connecting and, and the human Driven values of social media. So I wrote that, oh, you know, in the early days, and then we needed to go, we needed to update it. So we updated it. Then we needed to update it again. We updated it again. Now we're into like maybe 2018, and McGraw Hill says, well, you know, business books aren't selling so well right now. We're kind of backing off on our, on our business books. We're not going to update this anymore. Now, this is a book that's an important part of my brand. It's a a beloved book. And what McGraw-Hill is saying is, we are going to let it die. And we will only revert the rights to you, you know, five years ago when it's not selling anything anymore. Now, I don't want to watch this beloved book just die. I don't want to sell an outdated book and I was helpless because they owned the intellectual property rights.
0: Did they want you to buy it back from them?
1: They, that wasn't even an option. It hmm. wasn't even an option. I even had a lawyer look at it, and, he, and actually the lawyer had the same exact book contract with McGraw-Hill that I did, and he said, there's nothing you can do. This is the same contract everybody can do. And, and, and not only can I not get that book back, I can't write another book on Twitter. I can't contribute to another book on Twitter because McGraw-Hill owns that intellectual property. Now, I was eventually able to get the rights back, I, I and I didn't even have to pay for it. I basically wore them down. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that was my strategy. They were hearing from me all the time. I was passing along comments from my readers and from my fans about how much they love that book and how important it is to them. And finally, they just thought this just that just isn't worth it. And I like I had flown to New York and tried to try to appeal to them and, and tried to find some compromise. And finally, I just wore them down. Took about two years.
0: So and- basically, it was a Mark Schaefer uh, charm offensive. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the way I would put it. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's 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 really important because. When I have the intellectual property rights, um, one of the things, for example, I couldn't do was record an audiobook, record my own audiobook. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the right to sell it to uh, be translated into other languages. All of this was complete I was at the mercy of the publisher, and they've got other things going on, you know, Developing an author and supporting an author is not really their big priority right now. It's it's you know it's selling books. It's finding bestsellers. Mm-hmm. So um, there are there, if you if you want to learn more about this, I've written a couple blog posts about this uh, on on my blog uh, at the uh, businessesgrow dot com forward slash blog. And if you just search for uh, writing a book or marketing a book, uh, or self-publishing, you can get some of the other in-depth articles I've written about the advantages and disadvantages of of pu- going through a publisher versus a self-publisher. And really, I'm at the point, Douglas, where I think truly the, the only – Advantage. The only real advantage you have is going through a publisher is ego, is to say, I've got a contract with some big, you know, New York publisher. And if that's really a goal for you, then fine, go for it. Um, it does take some work to manage a project like this. I'm sure we're going to be getting into that in our discussion. Yeah. Um, but I find it kind of fun uh, because you do own it, it is your project. And at the end, it's something that's yours. You own it forever. Nobody can take that away from you. And like I said, you just never know where you can use that content next. And you don't want to be constrained by someone else owning your, your voice, your content.
0: Yeah. And actually uh, to make it even easier for the listener, I will include links to those specific blog posts at at this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, uh, Two things come to mind uh, that applies to content marketers, to businesses. You know, we're, or you hear the expression now, we're all publishers. We're all media companies. And you started writing these books at a time when you realized you didn't have to deal with a gatekeeper any longer. Mm-hmm. And still, too many companies, in my opinion, think that they have to go through gatekeepers, or they don't know how to become their own media company. And when I say become a media company, I mean like if you're a knucklehead who starts a podcast you're a media company <laughs> if right. you start if you start sure a blog you you're a media company sure so are. that's a great analogy for what we're we're going through here. The other thing that comes to mind is you know I, I continue reading these books which I enjoy tremendously, and a lot of them keep reminding readers that you need to own as much as you can the relationship with your customers. So in other Mm -hmm. words, uh, for example, if you're selling through a platform like Amazon, you want to do everything you can try to get that customer's email address and start that relationship directly with them. Same thing with social media. You want to maybe get people to your website so you can capture that email address so you don't have to go through those platforms. And it what you're describing here is the same sort of thing. You wanted to be able to control the the brand, and you wanted to be able to continue to provide a, a great product and experience for your for your audience, your followers, your customers.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is is is, is once you own that property, I can go back to my self published books and I can add a page. I can I can ch- I create I can create something new. And you know, you don't have to go through this incredibly bureaucratic and difficult process through a publisher. When I create a manuscript and I would turn it into a publisher, and everybody will tell you this, you'll see the book nine to 12 months later. When I create a manuscript and self-publish, I can have a prototype
0: book in my hands in about five days. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that fast. But here's the other thing. When you're writing like a marketing book, for instance, content code, I mean, these are books that are super timely.
1: Yeah. And so-
0: the Content so code wouldn't have worked if you had to wait another 12 months.
1: Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, what if you're writing a book that's timely? What if it's about the pandemic? Mm-hmm. What if it's about something that's happening right now, because you you have a an immediate opportunity, and it's something that you're uh, an an expert in, and you think this can help people. You can you can turn around a book literally once you have the manuscript, and of course you've got to have the cover and the layout and that sort of thing. But once you have it ready to go, and you push publish, those books are available immediately on Amazon. There, you know, once it goes through the you know a, a light approval process on Amazon, so they're they're you know they make sure that um, it's appropriate. I'm sure it's some sort of algorithm that they use, some sort of bot or something. But I mean, literally, you can have your 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 book from manuscript to up in the marketplace in a week.
0: Mm, that's great. Now I should just add one thing, and this is just particular to me, so I'm sorry. to Talk about me for a brief moment here, but (laughs) when I started the podcast in uh, 2014 or early 2015, my only concern, I was very excited to do it, still am, uh, my only concern was that there wouldn't be 52 books published a year. (laughs) so I can do a weekly show. I remember well, you telling me that before. Yeah. <laughs> and I well evidently there are. Uh Mark. <laughs> and now I get more books. than ever. Yeah, yeah. So I get a lot of uh, books and and I even have a section on my website for the podcast where I have a video and I explain you know, if you want to be on the show, these are the kind of books I like to feature. Don't feel mm-hmm. like you have to send me one if it doesn't really fit in. But mm-hmm. one thing that I use as a, a shortcut: is I tend not to have self-published books. Now, obviously, there's exceptions. Oh,
1: wow! A look I at Mark didn't Schaefer. Know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Know that.
0: Now, if I've had authors on and I mm-hmm. or I've read their books and I know they're they're good, I put it on. But here's the here's the funny burden I have: I now hear from listeners uh, who say things like. If the book is on your show, I'm much more inclined to want to listen to the interview and buy it. So now I'm thinking like, oh no, (laughs) now now I really have to vet these books because I don't want to let people down. Nobody does. And there have been over the years, um, and I get a lot of self-published books, and here's my problem. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I will read the beginning of the books, and pretty quickly I can tell this is a self-published book because they weren't uh, tortured by an editorial process. Oh, yours, yours don't have that problem, but when I find out that a self-published book has had an editor or some editors, and we're not talking proofreading here, and I can yeah. usually tell pretty quickly if the book is is has been uh, well edited, and I'm not talking about grammar, I'm just talking about the organization of the book. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I, I tend to have books from major publishers, because um, I know that... You know the author died for our sins. No, I mean yeah. the, <laughs> they—they—they've yeah. uh, gone through a rigorous editorial process. So
1: I like—I really like the word about torture the book. I, I, no, I, torture I, the I, author. Well, and and the book.
0: Yeah, I you want know, to know t- that they've suffered. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> and and I actually like, for example, on my on my last book, I hired. Let's see. Let's see. I had one,
0: two, three, four, five. I had six different editors. And I know, I think I know two of them, Evelyn Starr and John yeah. Asperian.
1: You, you, yeah. And I don't know if you know Keith Jennings or not. Maybe, Keith. But anyway. I uh, know. Yeah, John Asperian, Evelyn Starr. Uh, I also hired uh, an academic at Rutgers, a, a marketing professor at Rutgers, and then uh, there's a there's a, a very good friend of mine, Keith Jennings, um, that works for a big healthcare company in Atlanta, who is just a great he, he's a great intellectual. Powerhouse. He has a lot of depth in the business and marketing field, and can and, and sort of helps me connect the dots and challenges me in different ways. Right. I think it would be useful to. to so why did why did I? Okay, hire but so I, I th- think that's the
0: exception th- to the rule based on what I've seen. Yeah,
1: and then I also hired. I, I, I'm probably the first person ever on this show that that hired a, a sensitivity reader. Oh, that's right. Yes. And and, and and so this is something new and, and interesting that in this book, the last book we're talking about, Cumulative, Cumulative Advantage, Advantage, I moved into some new areas, let's say, where I was looking at the impact of the book on society in general, not just business and not just our ideas and not our personal momentum, but how does this apply to the world? Because I was sort of haunted by some of the things I learned as I was writing the book. So I was moving into a, an area where, you know, maybe there's things I'm comfortable talking about and things I'm not, you know, comfortable talking about. So mm-hmm. I hired I hired a woman who is Black, she's a civil rights activist, she's gay, and she's a she's a poet, she's a beautiful writer. And and she, she just looked at my book from the from a diversity perspective. And you know, some people might be rolling their eyes saying, isn't that overkill or whatever? But here's the good business decision. This and, and why this is a good business decision for, for anybody. In my books and in my in in my life in my in all of my work i want to attack problems i don't want to attack people i want to attack problems and i don't want to attack people either on purpose or not on purpose i don't want to attack someone just because i'm lazy i'm in a bubble we're all in a bubble right
0: yeah um, even more so in the last year
1: yeah I mean, literally, right? Literally, uh, and I'm writing this book in the pandemic. I'm a middle-aged white guy living in the in the woods in a pandemic, uh,
0: and I, suffering from coronavirus. Yes, I did.
1: Yes, I did. And you, no single human being can possibly be aware of the changes in culture and in norms and in expectations and in language. And an example would be this reader read something and she, she said, you know, this word right here sort of has two meanings. Maybe you could use a different word here. It's like, oh, hallelujah. Thank goodness you told me that. So she didn't really find anything egregious about the book, but it just gave me the, the confidence it, it really not much money to, to hire a person like this to say, okay, I feel really good that and and that's the same reason I hired John Asperian in the UK. I wanted him to have a European view of things. I didn't want to have just an American view of... I didn't just want to... You know, sometimes I use case studies, maybe only American, an American would know about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he was able to point that out. So I, I really tortured my book. <laughs> <laughs> in some cases, the author was tortured. And in some cases, the book was tortured. But it, but it, you know, when I write a book, I want it to be bold. I want it to be beautiful, in you know every single page, and so I, I do go to some some extremes to make sure that this book is the best possible written product I can provide to a
0: reader. And for you, dear listener, on the Marketing Book Podcast, only the most tortured authors are featured.
1: <laughs> I know that would make that would That's make my
0: make, promise of quality to you. <laughs>
1: And I will continue to torture them in some way.
0: (laughs) Insert, uh, insert sound effect of snapping whip. Yes. (laughs) Well, so how do you write a marketing book? I mean, or how does Mark Schaefer do it? Because uh, you're you clearly on a roll. (laughs) I, I,
1: I think I've come up with a pretty efficient process. And 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 it really really works, and I know that when every any time I divert from that process, I run into trouble. Mm. So obviously, the first step, the most important step, and the most difficult step is coming up with an idea for the book. And I know a lot of people want to write the book for the experience. They want to write it to maybe enhance their brand. To you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people think, "Well, this is going to be a big money maker for me." We can get back to that and talk about that in a minute. But
0: can I just tell you what I think yeah, what inspires you think? your your ideas? This is just my yeah. take. Mm-hmm. It's usually something that doesn't have a ready answer and it's yeah. something that's troubling a lot of people and it's really bothering <laughs> it's really yeah. bothering you yeah. and it's almost like you can't live with yourself until you get this nut cracked until you that's get exactly this thing right. figured
1: out. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I mean, now the advantage I have is that I get to see and meet and listen to a lot of different people. I'm a professional speaker. So I go, you know, normally on stages all around the world. I consult to, you know, different big companies. You mentioned some of them at the in the introduction. I also do personal coaching to a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners. And I'm also a teacher. And when I teach at Rutgers, it's usually mid to senior level marketing managers at big companies in New York. So I get to see a wide spectrum mm. of ideas and concerns and questions. And I listen and I pay attention and I probe. And I, and when I start to see themes, it starts to give, give me an idea of what needs to be next. Now, I will say that over the... 11 or 12 years that I've been writing books, there sort of has been a theme to the trajectory, and that is how do we stand out in this increasingly noisy world? I wrote about personal branding. I wrote about the content code, how to unlock this, right? Mm -hmm. I wrote about influencer marketing. Cumulative advantage is about momentum. What happens if you get stuck and, you know, the, the competition is getting more and more difficult? How do you get momentum to sort of lift you to the next level? So, intentionally or unintentionally, it, there sort of has been a theme and a trajectory but the the reason why this first step is so important is because writing a book at least for me you know i put so much work to, into it first of all it is a huge sacrifice it's a it's a personal sacrifice it's a family sacrifice it, you know it's 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 a lot of work and it is the most risky thing you can do for your personal brand because you can't take it back. It's, you know, you could take a blog post down. you can eliminate a tweet. you can even edit a podcast later, you know, right? But when you put a book out there,
0: you can't say, whoops didn't mean it. Yeah, I remember in the army in the artillery, the expression was that round is downrange. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it's you know it's you, you can you can propel, your personal brand or you can torpedo your personal brand. So the so I it's it's exactly as you said Douglas. It's like when I see a question that I can't understand, it just sort of haunts me. And it takes a period of months, maybe three, four, five, even six months, for the idea to begin to settle in and say, is this it? Is this the question? Am I going to devote myself to this? For the next, you know, year and a half or two years, uh, am I com- totally committed to this idea? And then once it sinks in, and once I commit, then the process
0: begins. So that almost seems like the hardest part. Uh, but it I is. I, is it? I think okay. it
1: is. I, th- I, I think it is because just because you have to be so sure. Now, let's now, talk now Mark. About, let me ask though. Yeah.
0: Do, so once you start to get on to what you think is uh, Mm -hmm. it's like you're uh, paddling out to that big wave you think is going to be it. You you then continue to test it with this uh, ongoing connection you have with so many people. I do, and here's another thing I do.
1: I test it in blog posts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Before I wrote Marketing Rebellion, I wrote a blog post, and I, I can't remember the exact title, but it was something about you know, why marketing is is sick today or something like that. And it was a pretty long article, and I was testing some of the ideas I wanted to write about, you know, in Marketing Rebellion. And I was sort of, you know, seeing how people would react to this. Several people commented on this blog post and said, can you write a book about this? Mm. So, I use my blog as an R&D department. I I would say that probably a third of the content in my books started out as blog posts, especially the more provocative or controversial parts of the book. I remember, I believe it was in the content code, I had a pretty controversial idea about SEO.
0: Right. And And that – isn't that where you you mentioned this and you got like 1,200 comments on your blog? Well, I wanted –
1: yeah, I wanted to test it out and I wanted to think, you know, if I put this in a book, am I going to get just, you know, shellacked by the SEO community? So I put it out there and I got really – is pretty supportive. I mean, people said, "Yeah, you're right. This really is the way it is today, and all SEO has to be that way." So I thought, okay, now the idea is fleshed out. And another way I learned is I can remember there was another blog post I put out there. Uh, I think this was also for the content code. This idea about gray gray social media, like it's not it's not public social media. It's not. Dark social media is like this gray social media. And so I had a friend in Singapore that wrote a comment on this blog post that was so brilliant, I included it in the book. Really? He, he, he became cited in the book. and I And I've done that many, many times. Either on it could be blog post comments. It could be even LinkedIn comments. I'll go back to the people. I said, "Hey, can I use that comment in my book?" And of course, they're usually you know very enthused about that. Um, so uh, yeah, so I use my blog as an R and D department for my book. Now um, the, the 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 step two. Which again, nothing's as important as step one really is getting clear about what this is going to be about. Step two is I, w- I will create an outline of what I think are going to be whatever 10, 12, 14 chapters of the book. And I'll create an Evernote file for each of those chapters. Now, for the next six to nine months, I'm watching the world. I'm looking for interviews. I, You know, I've used your podcasts in my book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll take a clip from a podcast. Oh my gosh, that's going to fit in chapter three. Look at this research from Deloitte. That would fit in too. Look at this wonderful article that was in Harvard Business Review. That would be perfect in chapter seven. Um, here's someone that I met. I need to interview this person for blah, 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 blah. I saw this story on LinkedIn. What a great case study for chapter nine. And you just zip, 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 zip. You you just, you read and you watch and you look and you, and as you, as you go through your normal life, you start collecting the information for these chapters. And I think this is a critical step. A, 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 this is really the heart of making this an efficient process because if you do your job right if you really have a good idea and you've done a pretty good job you know getting these chapters straight and then you, you know if you have if your idea is relevant you're going to be seeing lots of stuff about this idea if you're not seeing a lot of stuff about this idea maybe you should rethink what your book's going to be about but if you see, so you just collect, 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 collect. Now and it's like you
0: have a new, set, a fresh set of lenses.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you're everything watching, you're seeing
0: is through the lens of that book idea. Uh, right. That's that's exactly right.
1: So you know, when I was writing Cumulative Advantage, I'm looking for case studies about momentum. Who who are like people that they're just so improbable. They started with nothing and they became famous. I need to know their story. What happened? Is there a pattern? Is there things that we can learn that we can apply to our own lives? So I, you just start collecting. Now here's where the magic happens.
0: Scheduling a marketing book podcast interview—that's
1: the number one thing I do. <laughs> That's we're not, but we're not there yet. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm getting ahead we're not, of myself. But we're not, but we're not there yet. So here's another key idea. And this is important for me. And I, and I suspect this wouldn't be important for almost everybody because when I hear people have trouble writing a book, it's because of this. They stop and they start and they stop and they start. I was just talking to an author last week. He said, Mark, I need some help on this. I need, I can't finish the book. And the reason is if you're writing a blog post, look, it's a thousand words. You can stop and start. If you're writing a 60,000 word narrative, every time you stop and start, you have to spend so much time reorienting yourself to figure out where am I? What stories have I already told? You know, how is this all connecting together? So a key idea is if you have the ability and the resources to do it, write this thing in one, at one time.
0: Really? And okay. the way
1: I do it, Douglas, is I do it over the holidays because business slows down, my teaching slows down. So between Thanksgiving, let's say Thanksgiving and mid-January, that's a pretty good chunk of time. So you've got maybe eight weeks. and But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. When you open up the Evernote files... You have everything you need. Oh. Now, it's not about writing 60,000 words. It's about weaving together a story. Mm. And I think my style is very much in the style of Malcolm Gladwell, where when Malcolm tells a story, you're, he, you know, he just grabs you and you're into this story and you're trying to figure out what does this mean and where's it going to lead? And at the end of the story, Malcolm has a piece of research there. He has a statistic. He has a study. You know, you'll do this big study and then Malcolm hits you with it. Boom. Well, of course it was that way because researchers at Stanford have shown blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So it's, he doesn't hit you with bullet points he doesn't hit you with all these statistics he tells a beautiful compelling story that's backed by research and I try to do that in my books as well so now now here's the other thing that that, that I do that's it, it may help other people it may be quirky to me but it really helps okay so I've done my job I've I've got the 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 the, cha- the chapter outlines i've got the ever evernote f- files they're now full of different ideas what i do then is i take a big piece of easel paper for each chapter i write the name of the chapter on the top and i paste these things on a wall so if i have 10 chapters i have 10 easel paper you know pieces of paper all around my walls for the 10 chapters. Then I literally take all the ideas that are in the Evernote files. I write a little little sticky note for each idea and I paste it on the paper, on these papers. So now if I do all this, I'm looking, I have a visualization of the entire book. Every story Every statistic, every interview is now in front of me. I can see the, the, the 60,000 word, how it's going to work. How it's going to fit together. Now, in this visualization, I might see, oh my gosh, this piece of paper is blank. Is that really a chapter? What happened here? I thought it would be a chapter, but there's no research or ideas there. Do I need to fold it in? Am I really ready to write the book? Oh, look at this story. It doesn't fit in chapter three. It fits in chapter six. I move the sticky note. I have not found a way, Douglas, to visualize an entire book on a computer screen. Just can't do it.
0: That's interesting, and, it, and I can remember. I think I've seen a picture of this room. I did. I took. A, I took a picture. Oh, of it. I, you've got to let it'll, me have it, that picture well, it, so it, I can. It'll,
1: it'll be in one of the blog posts that I sent. Okay, okay,
0: that's where I've that seen it. That
1: will be. That will be. Yeah, that will be in your in your show notes. All right. So, so really, now, so we're talking about a highly efficient process here. I'm not sitting in front of a blank screen. I've got the whole book ready to go. So now all of a sudden, you know what? It seems pretty doable to do this thing in eight weeks because everything is ready. Now, another little trick that I have is I'll have a research assistant ready to go. And this could be a virtual assistant. It could be a friend. It could be, you know, a neighbor. It could be your spouse. It could be whatever. But let's say, you know, I'm writing in, in Known and I'm re- weaving this story, and all of a sudden I realize I need to know how many newspapers there were in Boston in 1776. So boom, I send it to my research assistant in an hour, boom, I'll have the answer back. So you just keep on going. Mm. You keep on going, right? So now you've got everything in front of you. Because
0: otherwise got- that could really derail you.
1: you cou- it could derail you. Yeah. Now the other advantage of using this process is that you can look at a page, you can look at a chapter, and you can say, you know what? That one is ready to go. It's it's killer, I got everything I need, boom, let's go. Maybe that's chapter six. Maybe chapter three, you gotta wait on something. So you just start working on the one that's ready. It doesn't have to be a linear process. Now, after I get everything written, I look at the whole thing and make sure it flows. So maybe in chapter eight, even after it's done, I say, you know what? There was something in chapter chapter three I need to remind the readers of. And so, you know, now I sort of edit it. So now the book is done in a draft. And what I do is I send the chapters to my beta readers in order once they're done. I don't send them the whole book at one time because that can be overwhelming. So they can really concentrate on one chapter at a time. So when I get chapter one done, you know, the introduction and chapter one, I say, boom, they're ready to go. Then I send it to the beta readers. After I get all the feedback from the beta readers and when I mean beta readers, this is just a friend or an editor, perhaps that you hire that are, that are looking at the book in a new way.
0: Like because Keith you, and John and, yeah, Evelyn?
1: all those people we mentioned. Yeah. And of course, um, they're going to see things that you didn't see because you're just so, you're just so close to it. And I mean, Cumulative Advantage, I think is a, is a beautiful, bold book. But you know what? I rewrote two entire chapters because Evelyn said they're disjointed, Mark. And you know what? In the back of my mind, I knew they were disjointed. Mm. But I was I just got to a point of like exhaustion yeah. where I couldn't do any more, but if she says it's disjointed, I'm not going to put that out in the world. I am going to make it sing. I'm going to make it beautiful. So, that's the role of the beta readers. Then I hire a, a, a you know a final editor. And by the way, if, if, there's any, if there's anybody out there that wants a few names or wants a few resources, feel free to connect with me and I'll see what I can do to help you. But I've got a friend of mine. She used to be an editor at Wiley.
0: Oh, really? And
1: yeah. Well, what happened, Douglas, is about four years ago, Wiley laid off all of their editors. And hired them back as 1099 employees so they didn't have to pay benefits. So there are hundreds of wily editors out there who can take on freelance work. And so I have this friend. She lives here in the same town as me in in Tennessee, in Knoxville. And uh, she is – I mean, she's magical. I mean, she does fact-checking. She makes sure everything is spelled correctly. Here's an example of what the final editor can do. Between the time that I wrote my first draft and the time she was editing the final draft, someone who I interviewed had a new job. She found that and we were able to update it. So I was referring to this person with with their correct title. So that's the role of the final editor. Now, I should also say that I've got a concurrent process going on, and that is the book cover. You know, the book cover, you need to give yourself as much time as you possibly can. Um, If you spend one dime on your book, I recommend that it should be the cover. And you have to, because this is the portal, right? This is the thing that's going to get someone's
0: attention in the sea of books on Amazon. Well, people judge a book by its cover. I hate to break the news to people. Can I
1: use that? Can I use that? That's that's really. I judge a
0: book by its cover, and there was a while there was a major publisher for a couple of years where I could tell that they weren't even going on Fiverr to get their book covers designed. They looked awful, and uh, and sure enough, I interviewed a couple authors from this one particular publisher, (laughs) and they weren't very well edited either. Uh, you know. So you know, I actually therefore that's science, okay. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. It's purely anecdotal. Sorry. Please. I
1: I actually tr- I actually went through Fiverr this time just
0: as an experiment. Well, when you say Fiverr, I mean what I mean to say is they didn't even spend five bucks. You yeah, know, but there is a there, cost there, more. Yeah, yeah.
1: There is there is a, a thing called Fiverr where you can get you know, and this these are people from around the world who they're artists or whatever, and yeah. And I tried it, and it was awful. It it was just awful. It was a complete, complete failure. So I ended up backing up and going the right way. And and whenever you create a cover, you have to remember there's only one function of a cover today, and that is this. It has to look good as a thumbnail on Amazon. Mm. So whenever you get – so whenever you – connect with someone who's going to do your cover you got to say it it's got to look good as a thumbnail which means no thin fonts you know it's got to mean not a lot of words it can't be any sort of detailed uh you know art it's got to be something simple and bold um because people are and, and and what i do literally douglas Is when I get the prototypes of the covers of the different ideas, I'll shrink them down to a thumbnail and I'll cut and paste them onto an image of, you know, like when Amazon's showing me suggested books. Mm -hmm. And I'll put my little thumbnails in the lineup to say, does this stand out in this lineup? And and all of a sudden you'll start to learn, wait a minute, there are certain colors that don't work. Mm -hmm. There are certain colors that really pop out. And 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 so that's that's really the 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 only purpose of the book and the most important thing you need to work
0: on. Yeah, you know, also um, I'm noticing more books uh, that where the the title of the book, like on cumulative advantage, it's not the very top or the very bottom because uh, mm-hmm. social media clips uh, mm-hmm. that sometimes the tops and the bottoms when they're not sized yes. uh, properly. Um, yeah. that's interesting. It yeah, also post, it reminds you, me of this notion of uh, I call the sugar cube test where you know podcasters are always saying hey what do you think of my podcast art and I'm always telling them to reduce it down to the size of a sugar cube mm-hmm. because that's about how big it's going to be on a, on the smaller phones mm, yeah and exactly. and, can, and and therefore yeah. you focus more on the letters the fonts than right. like a picture of the podcaster
1: yeah I mean it's a it's it, it, you you just have to have that in your mind because that's that's the current world that's mm-hmm. the modern world it's 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 all about thumbnails and quick decisions it's it's not a it's not a it's it, you know it's not a writing competition it's not a creative art you know art or creative writing competition it's about breaking through the noise it's about being seen and so that's everything you do has to be it can't be about you, and it can't be about your ego. It's everything you do has to be about making it easy for the customer and serving the customer. And if you write a good book that's bold and beautiful and helpful,
0: they'll come back. <laughs> right. I mean, they'll know that, that notion always also works well in marketing and sales if you're well, actually focused course. on the <laughs> yeah. on the customer. and and, 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 and so don't
1: don't. Don't cut any corners, you know, yeah. don't, cut, don't cut any corners because this is you. It's, this is your brand. This is your legacy. And if you do a good job, your you know, your brand goes up and your legacy is solid and people will come back. And that's why everything I do, Douglas, whether it's a book, a speech, a podcast, or a blog post, there's only one thing in my mind I think I will never let you down. If mm-hmm. you spend time with my content, it will be worth your time. It will be relevant, interesting, timely. Might even be entertaining. But I, I will not let you down. I will give it everything I've got, and and I think that's why, you know, I've been able to create momentum as an author. Uh, be, uh, here's here's the greatest story about one of my books, one of the things I'm most proud of. There was a a professor at Northwestern University who assigned Marketing Rebellion as a text to his class before he read the book. Oh, wow. He saw the description of the book, and he trusted me because of my other books enough, because the book wasn't out yet you know, it came out in like January of 2019. The class was starting in, you know, in January or February. So he didn't have a chance to read the book, but he saw what it was about and he assigned it as a text for his book. That is like the ultimate in trust. And that shows that my my view that I will not let you down pays off when you get that kind of level of trust.
0: Yes. Well, Mark, We've talked about these different steps, the way you – what works for you to write these books. But my sense is that you're still only halfway there. And I say that because in Ann Janser's book, Get the Word Out, that you're familiar with, she surveyed over 400 authors. And a surprising number were – particularly first-time authors were surprised at how much time and effort was involved – in having to market their brand, right, right, and right, you recently right. wrote a blog post about how, uh, for cumulative advantage, you did 120 interviews in 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I should add, I was really honored to know that I got to do the very first interview. So well, it, I think it, I can well, hang up my podcasting hat now. Well,
1: but, but 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 really, it's the same thing, right? You've earned that. I mean, you've earned that. You are the best. You're the best interviewer. You care the most. You read the books. You do the work. You're the best, and so you will always be the first place I go. You will always be number one. You will have you will always have the exclusive first interview because you've earned that uh, because you don't let your listeners down ever. And so I think that you 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 know whether you realize it or not, but you do the same thing that I do. But you're right. Promotion is hard. Promotion and –
0: And a lot of folks, a lot of authors don't really want to do that, even though they've written marketing books.
1: Yeah. Well, and and it's hard because one of – so one of the myths – uh, is that everybody thinks, well, you know, if I get this out book out, out there, you know, you, you just never know. You just never know. Maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will take off. And to put things in perspective, last year the three finalists for the American Book Award representing the finest American novels when they were selected as finals for the for the American Book Award, each of them had sold on average three thousand books. These are the best novels. Mm. So now think about business books it's even It's even more difficult. And if you're a first-time author, once you kind of get through your friends and family it gets it gets really, really hard. Now, there's a very important concept. In the uh, cumulative advantage book about building momentum, that, and I think in terms of self marketing or marketing your classes, your courses, your podcast, your new book, there's there's a connection to the personal brand. If you're not known in your industry, where's the support going to come from? So now, if you're known a, a little bit you'll be able to get a little help. If you've been working on your personal brand for 5 years, you'll be able to get more help. If you've been working it out for 10 10 years, you're probably going to have a, a a big success on your hands because you're known in your industry, you're respected in your industry, you're seen as a thought leader and when if you write a book, then you know people are are, are going to be really eager and and enthusiastic about promoting it. So, that is a big problem I see with a lot of authors, you know, online course creators, newsletter writers, that they just expect the momentum to occur because they deserve it. And as I talk about extensively in the Cumulative Advantage book today, is even if you're great, you're probably going to be buried unless you work on that marketing and work on that brand over years. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody. I don't want to dissuade anybody. You know, write that first book. If you've got it in your heart and you've got the passion and the time and the energy to do it, do it. But you also need to kind of moderate your expectations that you're not going to make a lot of money out of it. There's lots of other advantages to writing a book. Um, And 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 you know even if you you know sell your heart out it may only sell a couple hundred cup copies or if you're lucky you know a couple thousand copies but that doesn't take away your legacy in the end nobody's going to know how many books it sold but it's something that that nobody can ever take away from you so so some of the things that that, that have worked well for me in terms of promotion is I I try to make it sort of a celebration of my friends and and my customers, and I and I look to try to uh, for for my best friends and my and my best customers. I'll literally like create uh, a a box and and put little things in the box um, that may mean something to my friend, and I'll put in a book, a signed book, and a signed card and say thank you for your support over the years. I hope you like this book and I hope you'll help me tell this story. I think it's an important book for our time and I think, you know, I think you'll agree. <laughs> So let's think about the known book. So the known book, the cover of the book, the word known is spelled in like these marquee letters, like you would see on an old time movie theater or something. So it's like the letter that has all the little light bulbs inside the letter. Yes. Turns out you can buy those things on Amazon. You can buy like this metal letter that has these, these little light bulbs inside, and there's a switch on the back, and it lights up just like the book. So I went out and for for you know a, a, a small group of people, I bought a letter that was like the first letter of their last name, and almost everybody that has that letter, it's in their office somewhere. Right. Right. It's not something that you that you that you throw out. So, uh, so that would be an example of, of something special I would do for, for, for special friends. You know, this time, oh my gosh, I tried so many different, I always do experiments. I did an experiment this time with, with like micro influencers through an agency. Did not work. Did not work. And, and what I learned was that a lot of the influencers on, on Instagram or Snapchat today, they're not really concerned about your, the, your book, they're concerned about how their hair looks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not being dismissive because I think there is a role for but entertainment. But that's an example
0: of, of you and me. We're both very concerned about how our hair looks.
1: Yeah, my hair looks beautiful right now.
0: Well, you're not uh, an unattractive man, which is why... <laughs> You've been on the Marketing Book podcast for so long because I do have the best-looking listeners in all of the podcast world. Oh, wow. I've, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's oh, I, I, I found out. I tested. I've seen these people. Good point of differentiation. Yeah. Oh, it's a good-looking group of people. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs>
1: like that. So anyway, reaching out to friends works. The nano-influencer thing really didn't work. The interviews absolutely worked and you you talked about this part this uh blog post that i wrote where i was interviewed actually it was uh, it was a lot more i think than 120 i think at this point i've probably been at been interviewed maybe 150 times and podcasts sell books they really do you Mm. can almost always when the podcast drops you can almost see a little spike because the host of the podcast is a trusted friend. It's it's someone that's 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 you hear their voice in your head. You form this parasocial relationship. Um, you know they become someone that you know, someone that you trust. You think of them as a friend, and when they say buy this book, you know it's essential. You're you're, you're going to go do it. So podcasts and and interviews, you know, they really work. Another thing I tried this time was I tried a paid influencer. And I did just one, just to see what would happen. So there are, as it turns out, dozens of these accounts on Instagram that that review books. And you can get lists of these people. They're easy to find. And so I found one guy. I'm trying to remember what it cost. Um, It wasn't too much. I think it was 150 bucks. And I said, all right, let's just try this. And... And the guy really did well. I mean, he really overperformed. He 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 did a post when he got the book. He got he did a post as he was reading the book. He did a post with my book and some other books that were similar to my book. So they said, "Hey, if you like this book, you're going to like this book by Mark Schaefer." I think he ended up I think he he originally said Maybe guaranteed me three or four posts, and he probably ended up doing six or seven. So he really overperformed. The problem is, you know, let's say I make just for argument's sake ten bucks a book. It was one hundred fifty dollars. Did he sell fifteen books? Did I break even? I don't know. It, it, you, you can't really have absolute attribution on that stuff. But he created decent content, and he kind of overperformed. It's something I might try again.
0: Yeah, but let me interject here. Sure. Uh, To to the listener, (laughs) let me notice how Mark is not feeling like a failure. And the reason why is because it's like a lot of marketing things. He was testing. He was learning. Did something not work out? Okay, fine. Now he knows. And it's like a heat-seeking missile. He keeps getting closer and closer to what does work, and he does more of what's working and less of what's not working. But you're not going to know what's not working until you try it. Right, right. And... You know, another
1: thing that I I started with Marketing Rebellion was I actually created a uh, like a movie trailer, like a two minute video, and uh, both of these were created by uh, an exceptional group uh, out of Orlando called Food Fight Studios, a really cool animation studio, and. What what the goal was, I wanted to create something that was so cool and so good that people would use it for other things. Like maybe they'd use it even in a class. Maybe they'd use it to illustrate something in a speech.
0: Oh, kind of like Um, Eric Qualman's videos. Yeah, well, Marketing
1: Rebellion was, was, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So Marketing Rebellion, I think, you know, hit that mark. um, The one on cumulative advantage, um, and this was my fault. Um, it probably didn't do as well, but it was because i my my I, I had my the time frame was too short. you know we had to get something together quickly and it, it has to do with my book cover was late, and I kept changing the ideas on the book cover. obviously the video had to be consistent with what the book cover looked like and so we sort of had to rush through the video so again but again i, I learn you know it's all it's all learning and i'm getting better getting better getting better but uh yeah the promotion is is a lot of work and in this period it was exceptionally difficult because i'm not out, i'm not out on the road you know i'm not in i'm not giving a speech about the book in front of 5000 people which will obviously sell a lot of books mm-hmm. uh, you know i'm not out doing book signings at for companies and organizations because of the pandemic so you know uh, so i had to work extra hard to 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 experiment to connect uh, you know, one of the things I did this time was connect with a friend who helped me get into like Spanish language influencers uh, to kind of get out of my normal bubble. So this would have been um, like business leaders in the Spanish community that might not have heard of me before. So I did. I'm always experimenting, always trying new things. So and it
0: turned out all right. Well, that's great. Well, Mark, do you have? Already, ideas? Are you ruminating on another big problem or uh, another book? Or you sort of uh, do you take a breather after you launch a book like that? Yeah,
1: definitely take a breather. Definitely take a breather. And um, you know, when I finished the book, you know, finished really everything, finished the, the the writing and and going through the publishing process and all the editing. And then sort of had the schedule for the promotions all set out. Um, you know, I took a break. I, you know, as you know, I took a couple a couple weeks off um, to kind of get re-energized. And, uh, you know, writing, writing the book. I mean, I put everything into it, uh, and it, it it took a lot out of me. So there is a bit of a recovery period. And, and the other thing is it's, it's just a commitment that I have to myself and my readers is that, you know, I, if I have a, if I have a plan to write a book, I'm probably going to fail because I can't write a book on a schedule I have to write a book to solve a problem Mm. so if I I've got to have the problem the the problem (laughs) it's it's in and and what and I'm starting to see it I'm starting there's little things starting to germinate when I so, so I'm like watching I'm watching the news and I'm reading blog posts and and certain themes some certain new problems are starting to emerge I'm going huh that's interesting. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. And I don't, I don't think this is the subject of a book, but it's, but it's an example of, of, uh, of my process. So about a year and a half ago, the CMO of Pepsi said that big brands are over. That instead of
0: creating... Sounds a, a bit suicidal, but go ahead. Well, his point was... Career suicide, he, I mean.
1: He said that instead of having a, a campaign that may last years, like the Pepsi generation, right? It's about brand building. Today, a brand is about being relevant in cultural moments, I thought that is so interesting, it's so provocative. What does that look like? Then I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's the head of brand narrative at Adidas, or if you're listening to us in Europe, Adidas. And he said, You know, Mark, uh, a brand narrative used to be about creating a bonfire today. It's about creating sparks in different cultural moments. I thought, doggone, I'm hearing that again. Then I start looking at different things that brands are doing that respond to things that are happening in the news. It's not a campaign. It's a response, right? It's creating that response in that moment to be relevant in that moment. And I'm thinking, I am seeing something new here. I am seeing something profound here. Now, is that gonna be my next book? I don't think so. It could be. What if it starts blooming, if it keeps blooming, and all of a sudden I connect the dots in a way that say, you know what? I could be the first one to write a book about this. Mm. You know, this is an insight that nobody else has really articulated. And people, this this will help people. If it's if it ends up being something I believe in. Now, that's just one idea. It's just one one thing that's that's that I'm observing that's percolating. Will that be the next book? You know, probably not, you know.
0: But I have a suggestion for listeners on how they could start to track what could be the next idea and that's to continue reading your blog.
1: Because yes. you
0: can start to you can start to pick up on things there. So Mark, I just have one other question about sure. your process. Mm-hmm. And that is, you're writing a lot from Thanksgiving to December, but does it get derailed if the Pittsburgh Steelers are in the playoffs? Yes. (laughs) It happens a lot, so, you know.
1: Yes, yes. There you go. I am a Pittsburgh sports fan, lifelong, for better or worse. And yeah, absolutely. If the if the if the Steelers are in the playoffs over the over the holiday period, then you know, that's going to take precedence over book writing.
0: <laughs> good, that's good. Well, Mark, is there anything else that uh, we didn't talk about that we should have? Anything I should have asked that I didn't about your approach to writing a marketing book?
1: Well, I think the other thing that that I would add is one of the things that disappoints me is Oh, this is
0: where he's going to start talking about me. Please go
1: ahead. <laughs> is, you know, I've seen authors who sort of like twist the narrative to fit their premise. And again, sort of like in the Malcolm Gladwell mode, if you have a good story to tell, let the data tell the story. You know, tell tell the you know, tell the truth. Shine a light. Be a beacon. Create some new insight. Don't just provide information. Provide insight. And that might mean linking it to you, linking it to your own personal experience. In cumulative advantage, I took a big risk. I mean, I told a lot of my story and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, do people really care about me? You know, is this really the right thing to do? And it turns out people love those stories and they were able to resonate with those stories. And so, you know, I I think one of the ways that you can create something unique is to add your own narrative. Use data. Let the research tell the story. Apply your own story to make it original,
0: and boom! I think you'll have something. Mm. That is great advice. And again, back to Anne. She, 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 and Seth Godin and others have talked about how one of the bits of head trash of people that are writing books, they're think or, or, or creating any kind of content is they think, oh, but it's already been that that information's already out there. It's already been told, but it hasn't been told by you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing.
1: I think that's a good perspective.
0: Well, Mark, I appreciate you uh, stopping by for this very special bonus episode of the Marketing Book Podcast, uh, thinking about me and my listeners. And I think there's a lot of folks that, uh, well, I know that there are a lot of listeners who are writing books, working on books. And uh, I'll even include links to a couple other interviews in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com where I've interviewed authors about uh, writing books. So I uh, again, I appreciate your being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast so many times. And yes, I know that, you know, as, as I talked with Joe Polizzi recently on the show, um, you know, you pull up to the drive-thru at Taco Bell, you don't tell them your name, you don't need to do that, but you tell them that you are a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Seven Timers Club and, you know, things start happening for you. Um, and, I'm- no,
1: and I, I want to let you know that I've done the same thing for you you need to go to Belinda florist at the end of your street.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And walk in and say, "I'm a friend of Mark Schaefer Yeah. And see, and see what happens, Doug.
0: Yeah, you know, I I <laughs> I don't have that many restraining orders out uh, against me, but they actually do because I've tried that. It could have been because I was wearing my content code T-shirt. I I don't know. But uh, usually when I go to some of the uh, finer watering holes around the world, I'll mention Mark Schaefer uh, because I'm eternally hopeful that I'll get half price drinks, you know, based on – Keep trying, man. Keep trying. Hey, you know, the reward is in the journey. So – Well, anyway, Mark, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the Marketing Book Podcast so many times and for being a very early supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Douglas.